2: Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers. Who they were, what they did, and how. Episode 211. I am your humble host, Thomas Roseland Weiborg Thun. And tonight we continue the tale of the Hillside Stranglers, Kenneth Bianchi and Angelo Bono. We left off last episode with the continuation of the pair's gruesome reign of rape, torture and murder. Tonight we continue where we left off and there is still more murder and mayhem to come. Enjoy. This episode, like all other sagas told by me, would not be possible without my loyal Patreones. They are Lisbeth, Russell. Lisa, Kathy, James, Cody, Kylie, Robert, Val, Marilyn, Craig, Emily, the Duggletons, Jonathan, Jennifer, Lunavar, Roy, Cheryl, Richard, Brad, Laurie, Manuel, and ya boy Frank. You are truly the backbone of the Serial Killer podcast. And without you, there would be no show. Thank you. I am forever grateful for my elite TSK Producers Club, and I want to show you that your patronage is not given in vain. All TSK episodes will be available 100 percent ad-free to my TSK Producers Club on patreon.com/the Serial Killer podcast. No generic ads, no ad reads, no jingles, I promise. And of course. If you wish to donate $15 a month, that’s only 750 per episode, you are more than welcome to join the ranks of the TSK Producers Club too. So don’t miss out and join now. young woman sat inside the Cadillac with a leering Buono next to her and Bianchi driving. Buono, who smelled of cheap cologne and sweat, insisted on putting her in handcuffs. She refused. There was no way this was normal police procedure. But the large Italian-American insisted, and she realized there was nothing she could do. She was inside the car and it was speeding down the highway, the night lights of LA flashing by as if from some other world entirely. From time to time, as they drove toward Glendale, Lisa Castin continued to protest, and when at last Bianchi pulled into Buono's driveway and cut the motor, she refused to get out of the car. But Bianchi coaxed her into the house, suggesting that she had no choice, which she did not. From that point on the procedure was the same as with Judy Miller, except that Buono worried that this girl might fight. So he kept her handcuffed and cut off her clothes with a big pair of upholstery scissors. Naked she tried to beg, pleading, with both cousins for her to be let go. Buono was put off by her unshaven legs and derided her as quote-unquote some kind of a health nut. He decided to pass up the sex this time, not even bothering to flip a coin, growing sullen and resentful at this affront to his intentions. Watching Bianchi trying to work up some enthusiasm for rape in the spare bedroom, Buono handed him a root beer bottle. This Bianchi violently inserted into the young woman's vagina, causing significant pain and bleeding. Bianchi applied the bottle with such eagerness and animation that he made her bleed quite significantly, much to Buono's irritation, not out of pity for the woman, but because blood would stain his sheets and carpets. To make sure she did not bleed on the carpet when she was strangled, Buono spread a piece of her coat on the floor. The murder itself went as before, except that Buono added one new twist, tightening and then slackening the cord, bringing her to the brink of death and back again, several times over, delighting in the absolute power of it. At Bianchi's request, the cousins traded places, with Bianchi doing the final killing, while Buono sitting on her knees and showing real passion for the first time that night, shouted, and here I quote, Die, cunt, die, End quote. Her belongings safely in the dumpster, her body in the trunk, Buono headed the Cadillac north, towards the hills. After a few minutes, they were in the hills, but not high up this time. It was the beginning of a canyon. Started with expensive, rather new houses. and Then, on the left, the golf course of the Chevy Chase Country Club. At a bend in the road, where there were no houses on the right, and the golf course, fenced and bordered by big eucalyptus trees, was on the left. Bono drove ahead until he could make a U-turn, came back down to the relatively secluded spot beside the golf course, stopped the car, and cut the headlights, but left the motor running. Bianchi reached into the glove compartment and pushed the trunk button. The wind blew hard. With all the trees, it was very dark. Between the golf course fence and the road lay a deep drainage ditch, then a steep embankment, then a metal guardrail about three feet high. They swung the body over the guardrail, trying to heave it into the ditch. But she landed heavily and rolled with a rustling of leaves down the embankment until about fifteen feet and came to rest against a wire holding up on a utility pole. Up the road, Bono spotted headlights. As Bono nipped around the back of the Cadillac, he grabbed from the trunk a remnant of Lisa Kastin's coat, which he had used to keep the body from bleeding onto the car, and slammed the lid. The other car passed them as they drove off. The elder cousin was furious about the whole night. Nothing had turned out the way he had fantasized about. Bianchi tried to console him by pointing out how great torturing the woman had been, strangling and letting her breathe, and then strangling her again. Bono agreed, but it was not enough. He had not gotten his rocks off. He had wanted to rape a girl, one that actually shaved her legs, and hopefully her vagina. Next time, he said, he would pick the victim more carefully. Also, it would certainly not be long until they would be on the hunt again. Uno was far from satisfied, and he intended to remedy that post-haste. It was a mere four nights later that they decided to go for it again. There had been no public notice, as yet, of Lisa Kastin's death. The city knew nothing of the act, and to Buono and Bianchi it had become an irritating non-event—unfinished business. On Wednesday evening, the 9th of November, Bianchi dropped in to see Buono. They were going to discuss strategy. Bianchi found Bono out back, stroking his rabbits in the darkness, with Sparky barking jealously at his feet. Inside, they rehashed again the inadequacies of Lyssa Castin. Sheltered by the house that had now concealed two successful murders, they grew more and more enthusiastic. Buono walked about, straightening, dusting, checking the fish, as Bianchi talked. They had the perfect setup. It would be a crime not to take better advantage of it. How many other guys had a chance like this? They said to each other. There had never been such a scam. As long as they were careful, it would work again. And again. After lengthy planning and discussing, the Stranglers headed out into the night again in the Cadillac. They cruised to the red-light district, but what few women of the night there were did not meet their new and heightened beauty standards. Frustrated, Bianchi suggested they drive to his home street. There usually was a lot of young women hanging around there. On Franklin, they passed two young girls walking together, considered them, passed them up, and then— front of the Mayfair Market, at the corner of Franklin and Bronson, they observed a girl standing alone next to a bus bench. She was slim and blonde, wearing tight jeans rolled at the bottoms. Bianchi slowed. They took a good look, cruising past. The Cadillac rolled slowly around the block. They agreed that this one looked prime. At first glance, anyway. But Buono wanted another look. He told Bianchi to approach the bus bench on Franklin again. A block or so east of the bus stop, they pulled up to the curb, stopped, and looked. She was sitting on the bench now, apparently waiting for the bus. She had her long legs out in front of her, crossed at the ankles. The cousins switched places. And Bono let Bianchi out in the parking lot and took off. Bianchi approached the bus bench. He sat down next to the girl and looked her over unobtrusively. She was beautiful, blonde and angular, a model type. Her high-heeled shoes were silver below her rolled tight jeans. "'Hi,' he said. "'Excuse me, do you know when the bus is coming?' He had turned on his charm to the max, and the girl obviously took interest in the muscular, tall, and dark gentleman who had come out of the night. The two started talking, and when the girl revealed that she was into Scientology, Bianchi rolled with it, and soon they had great chemistry going. Then, of course, planned but appearing as incredible luck, Bruno came driving the Cadillac, and offered his friend a lift. Being a perfect gentleman, Bianchi offered the girl to also get a lift, which she happily agreed to. The girl's name was Jane King. Ready to pop the
1: question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkled down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
2: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have our burdens to bear, dear listener. And as a man, I was and am often told to suck it up, keep calm, and carry on. Normally, good advice in many situations. But never talking about what bothers you is not healthy. Therapy is great to get things off your chest, to vent, and best of all, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Everyone needs someone to talk to, even psychopaths, even your humble host. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash SerialKiller today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash SerialKiller. Bianchi switched on some music, and Jane King did not even seem to notice how far they were going, up over the Hollywood Hills, down along Forest Lawn Drive, and on to Glendale. It was after eleven at night. Traffic was light. Jane King stared ahead, nestled between the Samaritans, content with her good luck, listening to the music and rhythmically chewing on the gum Bianchi had given her. She hummed the tunes she recognized. Bianchi commented on her ring. It was called a mood ring, she said. It changed colors with her mood. She said she was in a good mood at the time. Bianchi kept expecting her to ask how far they were going, and when she did not, he wondered whether she was spaced out on something. He wished he had had a joint on him. He would have offered her a toque. It was so easy, and he was so proud of his negotiating skills. In the driveway, Buono switched off the motor. Sparky the dog ran up. For a moment, the three of them sat there, Jane King waiting for Buono to get out and Bianchi to drive her home. Bianchi looked at Buono behind Jane King's head and saw him give a slight nod. Buono grabbed her left arm, Bianchi her right. She started squirming. They pushed her forward and forced her hands together behind her back, and Buono snapped on the cuffs. Bianchi grabbed her purse. Inside, they sat her down in the easy chair. The elder cousin went to the shop to get the materials. This time, he brought some sponge rubber, a white rag, and coarse brown twine. With the tape and scissors from the kitchen, he was ready. He worked quickly. Jane King, now trembling violently, was gagged and blindfolded in seconds. He stood her up and removed the handcuffs, saying that she wasn't going to be in any trouble, but as soon as he had removed her light jacket, she began flailing her arms, so he clapped on the cuffs again and cut her blouse and bra free with the scissors. Her skin was pale, her frail rib heaved. Buono unzipped the fly of her jeans and with great effort began to drag them down. Then he stood back, pointing, grinning, doing a little hop from foot to foot like Geppetto gleeful at a new puppet. Wordlessly pointing, he motioned Bianchi to come around from behind her for a look. She stood there, A moon-tinted offering, slender, bound, a silvery nymph. Her narrow thighs pressed together and quivering, tapering upward to an absence. She had no pubic hair. The cousins had never seen this before outside of porno mags, and were ecstatic. Bono permitted himself a long, appreciative gaze at her. So helpless, her hands linked behind her back, her vagina bare as a girl child's, Blindfolded and gagged, her narrow feet self-consciously pressed together. She was everything Angelo Buono could desire, a tender virgin vessel, soft-hued as ivory, immaculate, enslaved. He led Jane King into the spare bedroom, put her on her back on the bed, and told her in a low paternal voice that nothing was going to happen to her. He returned to the living room and found Bianchi already putting her belongings into a garbage bag. Buono won the coin toss and raped the girl first, then Bianchi. The girl squealed and resisted all she could, and stated that although she could not fight them off, she would not pretend to like what they were doing to her; such obstinence angered Bono, and he wanted to, in his words, teach her a lesson. He wrapped twine around her ankles, turned her over, forced her legs backward towards her arms, and wrapped the twine around her handcuffed wrists hog-tying her. Bianchi, picking up his cue, mounted her from behind as Buono watched, pulling out his penis, feeling himself ejaculating as Bianchi reached his own climax. From the kitchen, he brought a vegetable bag, and Bianchi still, inside her from behind, forced the bag over her head and wrapped the twine around her throat. Buono pulled the cord. Bianchi pumped his penis in and out at the same time. Jane King screamed within the bag, tried vainly to suck air. Building on his technique with Lisa Castin, Buono let the twine slacken, reviving her, then pulled again. He repeated the pulling and slackening several times as Bianchi rutted, But finally, Jane King had no more breath. Bianchi finished after she was dead, technically making the rape and murder necrophilic as well. Searching her purse, they were surprised to learn from her driver's license that she had been born in 1949. Buono stated, and I quote, We let her die gorgeous. We did her a favor. End quote. Later, when they both felt sated and had put the beautiful corpse in the trunk of the Cadillac, Buono pointed vaguely in the direction of Dodger Stadium, holding a steady fifty-five on the Golden State Freeway, but he slowed as he approached the Las Feliz off-ramp. On the off-ramp, curved and dark with trees and heavy shrubbery, he suddenly pulled over to the side, They threw Jane King deep into some bushes and quickly drove away, the dark swallowing up everything except the red glare from their receding taillights. Jane's dead corpse lay cold and alone in the bushes, waiting for sunlight. Jane King lay moldering beside that golden state off-ramp during that week and the next. Her roommate and her boyfriend reported her missing. The roommate, a young man she had met through an apartment sharing service, who lived with her only to share rent and to enjoy safety in numbers, had seen her near six o'clock that Wednesday evening. They had eaten TV dinners before she had gone off to her Scientology class. Her boyfriend had not been with her since the previous Friday when she had spent the night with him. They had quarrelled a couple of days later because he had not wished to spend an additional night with her, but he had telephoned Wednesday evening and had been told she was at a Scientology class. Her fellow students at Scientology Manor described her as a quiet girl, introverted, fond of exercise and salads. One of her friends there. A girl who had roomed with her that past summer said that she had offered Jane a ride home after class at eleven, but Jane had preferred to take the bus. On other nights, Jane had complained that she was weary of sitting alone at bus stops and often preferred to hitchhike. That way you could select the person to hitch a ride from, Jane had said. According to her, One could tell by looking at a person whether he was all right. Jane had not been known for logic. Her friends liked to call her Jupiter Jane. During the next few days, they talked about what a great success the Jane King murder had been. Bono could not get over the pleasures of her shaved pubis. The weekend arrived without any press or television coverage of their latest act. Impunitas semper ad deterioria invitat, goes the Latin legal maxim. Impunity always invites to greater crimes. They were beginning to feel invincible. There was no telling what they might be able to get away with. Buono, still praising Jane King, began suggesting the next logical step, to abduct a very young girl, a school girl, unspoiled, inviolate, barely ripe and helpless, a girl, Buono emphasized, who did not have anything to shave or only the first fuzzy hints of womanhood. Bianchi said that he had never been with so young a girl, but had often fantasized about it. The buttery baby skin, the thin little voice, the hairless smallness. Buono assured him that there was nothing comparable to very young girls. Their helplessness, their fear, their crying out. To make a sacrifice of one, that would, in Buono's view, Be something to make life truly worth living. If they could find one and, quote unquote, break her in, and then kill her, she would have lived just for them. They would be her beginning and her end. That would be the ultimate rush. And so it was that on Sunday, the 13th of November, four days after the murder. Jane King, Buono and Bianchi drove over to the Eagle Rock Plaza in search of their Vestal Virgin.
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: And with that, we come to the end of part four in this series, which will be several episodes covering the saga of the Hillside Stranglers. In two weeks, I will bring you part five. So as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned.